Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome to the Larkcast. Yes, the Larkcast with the Lark Cats. Talking to all you Larks out there who are grabbing onto and passing on the scandal of the gospel. That's pretty good, right? It is pretty good. I mean, just the imagery of thinking about a cat talking <laughs> to a lark, it's pretty fun. I don't really know how that would go down in real life, but. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, kind of found myself like, yeah, man, I'm going to do a little. <laughs> little old school radio radio disc jockey approach here heck yeah but on a serious note <laughs> welcome to the lark cast we are delighted that you are with us we are pretty stoked about the conversation that we have been in for a good while if you're new to the lark cast feel free to back up and check out all the other episodes as we've been walking through the gospel of john but here's what's unique we haven't just been walking through the book of john just you know to do so We've been walking through this ancient letter, really grabbing onto and looking into and looking under the hood, I guess you could say, right? And flipping over rocks and everything else to grab onto what Jesus is actually saying, like what he really said, what he really did, so that we could begin to, in my opinion, man, just one way that I oftentimes say it is looking at it through the lens of it is finished, right? And that is where we are today. That's exactly where we are today. Yeah, we are in John chapter 19, where you will find a verse that we probably quote more than anything. (laughs) It is, in my opinion, probably the linchpin of Lark. And that is the news that Christianity is not, and please hear me when I say this, Christianity, according to Jesus, all right? And of course, you know, we have people who can get pretty technical. We're like, well, Christianity isn't, you know, isn't really a thing. And then, you know, you know, we go on all those reasons, which I'm like, okay, I get it. But for practical sense here, let's just be clear. Christianity, according to Jesus, is not morality and action. Okay. It is not a religion for the winners who are really serious about loving God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength and loving their neighbor as themselves. According to Jesus, Christianity is a fellowship of losers. It is a movement of flawed and frail people, the guilt league of the guilty, the alliance of the addicts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mm-hmm. can keep going here. Yep. What it is is a fellowship of, of just broken people, man, who have grabbed onto the good news of God's boundless love because we're not that good at loving God and loving people. And he knows that. And yet he's chosen to meet us right where we are and unite himself to us. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the difference between just do it religion and the declaration of Jesus, it is finished. In me, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are whole. You are home. You are free because you are now one. And as we talked about in our last episode, all of that hinges on what we're kind of diving into today, which is the centerpiece of everything, the cross. The one and only place, the cross of Jesus, 
the one and only place in all of the world where all of our sins are recognized and redeemed. Think about that. Fully recognized, fully redeemed. So, man, I could keep going. This is a, well, like I said, this is sort of the heart of the heart of Lark, but you've got some pretty awesome notes, man. I feel like some pretty interesting things that you've been diving into in regards to this chapter. So I'm going to, I'm going to sort of hand the reins to you, man, and, and let you, let you Jameson lead our, lead us in this, in this discovery, man, of John, John 19. Amen, dude. Well, before we do, your, what you just said is one of the most important things to ever come out of your mouth or, or what you've founded Lark for and before that, the Table Network. And that's that the cross is the only place where our failures, our sins, our brokenness is recognized and redeemed simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so much in that little <laughs> sentence that you say, and I know it took a lot of work to get it to that point for you. And I'm just, I don't want to rush past that because when you look at John chapter 19 and you see this story unfolding, right? The crowds, the crowds are screaming, crucify him. They'd mm -hmm. rather get a murderer back on the street than Jesus. Um, <laughs> like everything yeah. we talked about in chapter 18, all these people with really bad track records in those moments of faith, mm -hmm. right? They're not, they're not trusting in God. They're not trusting in Jesus. In fact, the religion they're adhering to is killing him. And so, um, just how far does that reconciliation go? That redemption just like, and something else that we should talk about today is like, why is the cross why is the death of Jesus the centerpiece? Why is it so necessary? Um, and mm. as we, man, this journey through John has been incredible because this hat, like this chapter has been the focal point since the first chapter. Yeah. And you kind of miss that when you're looking for principles to live by, by reading the gospel of John, you kind of miss that this author is setting us up. <laughs> The whole way through, he's setting up this chapter, but he's also setting the reader up because he knows what we're thinking. He's been in ministry for several decades since his time walking the earth with Jesus. And when he writes this, he knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we're trying to do with the stories we tell about Jesus and why he came and mm -hmm. what he did. And John's correcting that. Um, so... With all of that said, I think, you know, we've got Jesus getting the scourging, right? He gets the the cat of nine tails and just shred his back to pieces, which will kill some people right there. Um, you've yeah, got what he endures is just dude heinous. Yeah. Yep. It's beyond anything you can really grasp. Yep. Then he's condemned officially. Then he's crucified, actually. He dies. There is death. Jesus yep. is dead in this chapter. And then he is pierced with a spear. 
and then buried. That's this chapter. That's John 19. Um, this is these this is the the most troubling chapter in scripture, yeah. probably, <laughs> or the most troubling story because it's in four gospels, but um oof, I go a lot of directions. The first thing that I think is important for us to notice here, Russ, who who crucified Jesus? Well, <laughs> Well, if you would have asked me that um, in my first 15 years of pastoral ministry, I would quickly answer, God did. God the Father crucified his son to make peace with a broken humanity. That's, that's what I learned in Bible college, man. That's what I learned studying within the church. That's what I went on to preach and teach, man, for a number of years. And I think there's a lot of people who would align with that. But again, man, like sort of that's what this whole journey has been, been about is letting the words of Jesus, letting the words of scripture speak for themselves. Hmm. And I would say, I think we get a different answer. According to the, according to the, to the scripture here. Yep. So when you go to, Nine, uh, John 19 verse 7 we'll just read this one out it says right the, the crowds are shouting crucify and crucify him Pilate said take him yourselves and crucify him I find no case against him the Jews replied we have a law and according yeah. to that law he ought to be put to death because he has claimed to be son of God Ooh. <laughs> so, and there's like, we could, and if it's helpful, if anyone wants, let us know. We'll send you a message with lots and lots of references to humans crucifying, condemning, killing Jesus. And we won't be able to send you any of God doing it. So that's just kind of a biblical data conversation. But what's yeah. really interesting here, <laughs> which is odd how the other idea is so popular. Yeah. Right. Right. But then again, I mean, you can look at a myriad of things that are extremely popular and practiced in the name of Christianity that are actually contrary to what Jesus said and did. But this, I think, is, is one of them, man. Like people, religious people in an effort to stay true and right within the realm of their religion. Marked off the check mark of what is lawful and good and needs to be done. And crucified God in the flesh when he dwelt among us. Now, yes, I know that Jesus knew that he would die. He openly tells us that he came to give his life as a ransom, right? To set the captives free. He's made it known throughout the Gospels that his mission is to die. And apparently being God allows you to know exactly what religion will do to you when you show up in flesh <laughs> and declare <laughs> that religion is not your plan, never was your plan, never will be your plan. Yeah. You created people to dwell with you, right? And 
and somehow set this whole thing up so that faith is what awakens us to this reality to enjoy. And bro, I'm sorry, but there's no religion in that. And I think, uh, I think to answer that question, man, like I said, I didn't know this for years, but people, religious people, that's who crucified Jesus. Yeah. And if anybody out there is thinking, well, man, I sure as hell am glad I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, well, I think they're good representatives of all of us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's... <laughs> so there's so much to to unpack in that i like as i think about what jesus is being shown as doing in john like john's yeah. got an agenda he writes this story because he's like you guys are not seeing jesus and jesus yep. came so you could see the father so john's trying really hard to help us out <laughs> um and here's one of the things that he said earlier on that we ought to bear in mind here. He says in John 12, 31, now sentence is being passed on this world. Mm. Now the prince of this world is to be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I shall draw all people to myself. Yep. Here's just, before we get into some of the theology, a biblical data question. How many people, Russ, are being drawn? It says all. All? Now, how many is all? Well, in the Greek, the word all, it means all. Okay. Just say. <laughs> <laughs> it's not one of those words that's kind of debated among the scholars. and Well, no, it's definitely debated. I mean, it's just like when we talk about Colossians <laughs> 1, right? You know, this is verses 15 to 20 when it talks about Jesus being the image of the invisible God, the creator, sustainer, you know, of all things, um, who reconciled all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. Yeah. This is all things. I mean, every single, every single person, every single wrong throughout all of time on earth and in heaven reconciled. Yep. That's a past tense verb. When you look in the text, this is something Jesus did, which is what we're talking about here in John 19. But what I'm saying to you and everyone listening, that, that passage, right, is, is a reference to this act that took place, finished, done. And man, he's, I think, uh, you know, you can also find it in John 10, right? When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Yes. Right? Like, this is who he is. This is what he's done and when he's lifted up, he's going to draw all people to himself. Yep. The all the people that he's about to reconcile <laughs> right here in this chapter. One act. Dude. Is there any wonder why this is called good news, man? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> right? It just makes you wonder, like, how in the hell did good advice and good practice get dragged into this like how did this news about what jesus did become a religion about what we do right the more i just dig into this i'm like how did that happen and i don't want to go down that rabbit hole because that that one sure that's a whole nother whole nother story but 
It yep. just makes you like, re, like you simultaneously like rejoice and how good this is. And at the same time, like find yourself frustrated with how quickly it gets nullified. Yeah. Yep. And Jesus was not surprised by that then. Yep. He was not surprised by that in the betrayal and the arrest and the running away and the desertion and the crucifixion and the mocking and the abuse. And so mm -hmm. he's not surprised about it now. I think yep. a lot of messages that I've heard spoken to me and then kind of that I've internalized over my earlier years as a Christian are that, well, Jesus does wind up disappointed in things, <laughs> in people, yeah. in lack of faith or lack of allegiance or lack of obedience, whatever. And mm -hmm. being someone who has learned how to read and then was handed the scriptures and then has spent years reading the scriptures, I don't find that message. <laughs> I'm not finding it. And wow, like Jesus spent so much time saying, I'm one with the father. The father is in me. I'm in you, by the way, too. And now he's getting crucified by the religious institution that declares to be the children of Yahweh. They're the children of this one God, right? I, the It's no longer lost on me that the point was never getting to God. The point was never me shaping up enough so that God is happy with me. It, Jesus never talks about that. Mm -mm. And I think to go kind of back a little bit, Russ, with what you were saying, when we're looking at this, this story and we see that the will of God isn't a whole bunch of like reformation in our holiness codes. What do we see the will of God in John as even in being? Well, I mean, something we've you know talked about numerous times on here, John chapter six, Jesus himself, God in the flesh tells us that the will of the father is that we believe in the son, man. He wills that none would perish but that all would find eternal life. He came not to condemn, but to give his life. I'm just, this, this is the core of this man. And, and like you said, this is like chapter 19 is where all this is coming to a head where he's bringing about a reconciliation of all things. He's, he's submitted himself to our religious ways, to the, to the literal death of our religion. He's now being put to death. And in this paradoxical, mystical mystery, dude, somehow, according to the scriptures, it's like God is taking all of creation and he's going to put it in his son on a cross. And it's going to, as Capen says, right, it's going to get dropped down the black hole of his death. <laughs> he's the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Take it away. <laughs> yep. Not kind of quasi deal with it a little bit, you know what I mean? And hopes to kind of get us over the hump. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But no, like 
take it away, man. So much of our theology, I found like when, when missing this, it's so easy for God. God almost becomes like a mascot. Like the father becomes like a mascot for like, that's like rallying us on somehow to something we should be. And then Jesus sort of like, he becomes like our coach, you know, like a model that we're trying to emulate and, you know, in achieving something. And then the spirit of God is like this jetpack that we put on, mm. you know, he's like this, you know what I mean? He's, he's like the creatine you know what I'm saying? that we got to take so we can really perform well, man, when we're with our coach while the mascots over here cheering us on. And it's like, no, this is all devoid of a God who shows up and dies in our place. Which, you know, and looking at that as a centerpiece man of Christianity, it really does make you have to wonder why that there's so little death in our vision statements. <laughs> yep. Wow. So, right? Like, man, everything is about you going and becoming and achieving, you know, something for him that he, we never even find him calling us to do instead of the joy and the freedom of you living independence on him. You know what I'm saying? Like the journey mm -hmm. in front of us is not finding yourself for God's glory. It's getting lost in the glory of, of him who is your life. Yeah. There's no you and me to defend, to define anymore, man. That's the beauty of this. But again, misunderstanding or not allowing this to carry the weight that it does is, is probably why there's no death in our vision statements. Hmm. So why did Jesus die, man? Why did he die? That's, <laughs> that's the question. And it's I'm because God refuses, right. To allow us to be destroyed, man. Yes. Yep. To persist in our delusion. Man, that's a great word. And I think, you know, going back to some things we've grown up with in the name of Christianity, uh, the cross, the crucifixion is often seen as this incredible display of humble servitude by Jesus. Yeah. And then is used as a hey this is a great example for you and it's a great motivation for you and you need to hurry it's good for you right so we've again one of those things that i internalized about my faith about christianity about what's true about jesus is that like he's like you're saying he's the coach <laughs> the spirit's your jetpack um how to like that just doesn't square at all with what's being revealed here. That is not related to what John's talking about. And so if that's why Jesus died is to give us a good example, some good motivation, a, a good motivational speech and story so that we can have it ready at, at the moment. If that's not what it is, then what is it? And when I ask that question, I go back, I dig and I pull on the thread and I'm like, let's go all the way. Right. I don't yeah. want to just put a bandaid on my finger because there's something wrong with it. I want to ask, why is this even happening? How do I fix it? Not how do I make it feel better for 10 minutes? Well, when you do that, you, you got to go to Genesis because in Genesis, you have this ornate story 
about the beginning of all things, about God's will for all things, and then about the fall in light of all of that. And at the end of Genesis, the the thing on a neon sign blaring off the page is the faithfulness of God, not a whole bunch of people that got it together. Mm, yeah. And so Adam and Eve, and this distinction, I think, is why the cross, why Jesus died. Adam and Eve, the core problem that happened in the garden was not that they chose to eat the fruit. That is what Baxter Kruger calls the fruit of the problem. <laughs> the yeah. problem itself was the moment that they trusted more in the serpent's question than in the father's command. The father's command was, see that tree of life over there? That's for you forever. Yep. Eat it. Eat of that. Enjoy. Yep. The question of the serpent, otherwise known as the accuser, was, did God really say that? And then there's just a flood of questions that come out of that. Like, is he holding out on us? Like, is is there a no. bit of life we're not experiencing because of this command? Uh, um, is he actually good if this is no. all true? That is the disintegration of trust. And the disintegration of trust, relationship, is where religion comes from. <laughs> because yeah. religion is always trying to monitor and maintain some sense or semblance of connection, of relatedness that you earned that you made necessary whereas yep. god started out and finishes saying yeah you can't actually ever change me and my life is love and i am for your thriving living surviving surviving is not the right word mm. the the doctrine of the trinity suggests that God has created you to include you in his life. If that's true, that's not something that changed or changes. So why did Jesus die? Because after that distrust, we entered a delusion with no way out. That delusion is that God's not like the Trinitarian theology I just suggested. We are prone to desperately believing God's holding out on us and needs us to pick up something, to do something. Yep. And this is like, uh, I'm going to give you a, a sentence from Kruger here. And uh, as I'm thinking about it, the deep, like the core problem, right? Is that Adam's pain inevitably altered the way that he saw God. Okay. So he hid in fear and dread of being exposed for who he really was in the light of the blazing glory of God, just walking in the garden. Cause God is life for Adam. God is not a, just a friend over there. God is life. Yep. So here's what Kruger says. Now there is a great ugly ditch between who God actually is and who Adam believes God is. God's heart will be misunderstood. His every word and act and intention will be translated through the wrongheadedness of human anxiety and projection. Yep. This, my friends, is why 
Jesus submitted to the law of religion that required his death. Because the only way to prove that that law and religion is made up is for God to be dead inside of it. <laughs> like to be killed by it. Yeah. To be ended by it. Yep. To see what it actually brings about. That when life itself shows up in flesh and shares a meal with you, your religion has no choice but in the declaration of what is true from him to put him to death for it. Yeah. Now you talk about like a ditch, right? You know, as Kruger, you know, mentions, you know, this ditch that comes about between, you know, who God actually is and who Adam believes God is and how he's going to be misunderstood, man. Like when you start to look at that, I think he's spot on because every word and every act, and like you said, and every intention from God will be translated through this wrongheadedness, this stubbornness, this spirit of independence that's in us. Okay. Mm -hmm. We will bring our anxiety and projection and put that on God, which is why when he shows up, we refuse him, we abandon him, we betray him, we crucify him. I mean, if there was ever a testimony, dude, if there was ever like a like the factual evidence, okay, of the demise of our independence, that's it. Yeah. Right. Like we're we're so blinded, we can't even begin to see what is true about what God is actually like. And so Jesus dying on a cross is not an act by which he's trying to change God's mind about us. He's submitting to a cross. So he can change our mind about what God is like. Yep. Dude. That's everything. I mean, come on. That's it. That's it. And that's then all. you, you like you, you take in some of this and you see that when Paul takes a lot of this conversation, you know, Jesus spends all this time in John about being in the father and the father in him and us and him. Paul takes that to another level, man. The number of times he talks about us yeah. being in Christ and specifically he talks oh, in yeah. Romans about being in the death of Christ. Yep. What Paul is helping us see is that when Jesus who holds all things together dies, we are part of those all things being held together inside of him while he dies, while he's dead. Yep. That means we died. <laughs> that means when Christ died, we died, which is also verbatim 2 Corinthians 5 14. One died for all, therefore all died. Yeah. Whoa. Like, yeah, that's like this mystery, the, the mystery of the cross, right? Like this thing that God is miraculously doing, where he's somehow putting all of humanity in his son in this moment. And so when people are like, well, man, like I need to, I need to, I need to be punished for my sins. I'm like, well, that's already happened. You were crucified with Christ. That's done. Now, I'm not saying that if you go and do certain things, you know what I mean? On this side of eternity, that you might not find yourself locked up in jail or prison or, you know what I'm saying? Hit with fines, yeah. you know, as you like start to, you know, bring you know, disruption, you know what I'm saying, to other people and harm. You know what I mean? You do have laws within the land to say, hey, you don't get to do that and to protect 
other people from you were going to do this, but let's not confuse that with what's going on here. And I think that's something that's very easy, easily done by people, myself included. We forget that there's something bigger, deeper, broader that's happening in and through us being crucified in Christ and what God is accomplishing in and through this. It's, and it's for all, man. It's for all of humanity, everyone. And just, you know, and, you know, just thinking, you know, about it, man. And I know we've got some notes here, but, you know, some of the aha moments for me early on about this came from the late theologian, Robert Capon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Somebody who was taking all these passages that dealt with everything that Jesus has been saying in John. And then of course, everything that Paul is in reflecting on, like in Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and first Corinthians and Colossians one. The book of Romans, man, I mean, come on, dude. I mean, that's where you can go. And if you're new to this conversation, grab a copy of Reclaim. It's available on our website, larksite.com. Um, yes, that's a shameless plug, but only because we really believe in it. Totally. And so there's a number of these verses that we unpack within those first five chapters of that book. But all of it's sort of showing like, you know, this, this announcement, like when Jesus is put to death here in John 19, and on the cross announces, it is finished. My father's dealings with the sin problem of this world are finished. What I came to reveal to you about what God is actually like, so that you can be brought into reality out of the delusion that you're persisting in, it is finished. Okay? Capon says this, this news, this gospel of grace, what we're seeing on the cross is not the start of a new religion. It is the end of religion. Yep. The cross is the end of religion. The final posting of the clothes signed on the sweatshop of the human race's perpetual struggle to think well of itself. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> For that, at bottom, is what religion is. The human species, well-meant but dim-witted attempt to gain approval of its unapprovable condition <laughs> by doing odd jobs it thinks some important something will thank it for. The yeah, life yeah. of grace, the grabbing onto what Jesus has done, the living by faith in this news that it is finished. God has closed the religion shop and has forever united himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. Okay. He says this, this life of grace to trust that news, this life of grace is not even our life at all, Capon says, but the life of that someone else named Jesus rising like the tide in the ruins of our death, dude. The life of grace is plain trust. Blame. The life of grace is lived out of death. Religious acts, okay, become celebrations of something already accomplished. Not something to get you somewhere that you're not already at. That's why the gospel is good news for the whole world. As we said in our last episode, the one and only place, right, in which all of our failures are fully recognized and fully redeemed.
dude, that that's what's been accomplished on the cross. And that's why in the end, before he hangs his head in his final breath, he can say, it is finished. Not tag your hit, not just do it, not go and try to emulate my way so that you can become this person you're supposed to be because God's still not happy. But no, trust in this reality. This is the life I've given you. Yep. Dude, it, it doesn't get any better than this, man. I'm sorry. It's not I could a baton. On the not... rest of my days. <laughs> yeah. He's not handing us a baton to finish the race. No. And to bring some of this to bear on us even more, here's a couple of thoughts about what, what it would be like otherwise. Okay. If what they say about the cross in the scriptures is not true, well, then making things right is up to you. It's up to you. And yep. if it's not true, then we live under the imaginary weight of changing a world that we were called to live in. <laughs> we were called to change the world. No. Also, we we have nowhere to go with the sins that have been committed against us. Right? That's one of the things that like where are you going to go with that stuff? The hurts that we have, they can't be undone. No. No and matter how sincere for them. Yeah. No matter how sincere they are, you can't undo it. Um you nope. might be able to forgive, but that's still not undoing or or reconciling. If this isn't true, then we have no peace. <laughs> we have no peace when shit hits the fan and doesn't change and doesn't get better. So what do you do when a father who just abuses you your whole life keeps promising to do otherwise, but never does you. Yeah. I mean, you just can't explain it. And I'll here's one of the big ones. Okay. Practically, if, if this isn't true, if the atonement that happened in John 19, the finished thing, the finishing of all things, of the taking away of the sins of the world, of Jesus being lifted up to draw all unto himself. If that's not true, then we never get to be okay with who we are. We're going to have to figure out how to modify and upgrade. And especially that means we'll never be able to have friends because you'll have to insist that they also get upgraded and you might think that you're going to be the one doing that yeah life so, becomes an endless shitty merry-go-round it's just it's it's never ending man the anxiety the fear the doubt the stress the worry the need to hide the need to pretend the need to strive yep right it, you know it's one of the lines that we you know have often said is the need to create labels and form tribes for who's in and who's out. It's just, it's endless, man. It's endless. Yep. Apart from this reality. This is the only hope, man. This we, is, this is the only life. <laughs> we need to let death back into the Christian witness. We need to let yeah. death back into what we think we're doing and who we think we are. The entire ontological concept of ourselves and of the gospel 
us knowing who we are in better words has to get reimmersed into the death of Jesus. It has to get recalibrated by a dead Jesus that we are in, <laughs> that we are included in, that we find our being in. If not, if we don't, then we are going to persist in a delusion. We are going to persist believing there's something we must and can do yep. that somehow exceeds or continues or perfects what Jesus did. And I just yeah. don't think anyone's flocking to that message anymore. They're no, tired. Who's they're honest. burned out. They're, they're emptied because of it. They got nothing left. Yep. And that, I would agree. that's heartbreaking. That's, and that's what's at stake here. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't the end of the story. Yeah. So, right. We're, we're going into chapter 20 next. And so we want to invite you to not just sit in this, but, but to, uh, to look with anticipation, man, to what we get to unpack next and where this moves and where this goes. And to that said, I'm just going to go ahead and end here with cheers to the death of this endless project of self. Mm -hmm. Cheers to that. Amen. Amen.